Welcome to the Project Zion podcast. This podcast explores the unique spiritual and theological gifts Community of Christ offers for today's world. A warm welcome to this Grounds of Peace podcast, a series that is part of Project Zion. In our conversation today about Israel-Palestine, it's very important that we start by defining what we mean by Zion in Community of Christ, a religious movement that began in 1830 in the United States. Zion originally was uh, defined as um, uh, people of one heart and one mind, dwelling in righteousness with no poor among them. And today we might say, Zion is renewing and greening the earth to bless all generations, embracing the worth of all persons, no exceptions, and working to end racism, bigotry, sexism, poverty, and war. If we were to use biblical language, Zion is the kingdom of God on earth for the blessing of all peoples. Zion is a term community of Christ began using before Jewish or Christian Zionism meant a return of the Jewish people to the Holy Land. However, we were also affected by Christian Zionism, something we're now repenting of because it has led to the marginalization and oppression of Palestinians. I'm your host, Andrew Bolton, currently living in Leicester, England, one of the most pluralistic cities in the world, and the only city in Europe with a non-white majority. Today's Grounds for Peace episode is a collaboration with the International Peace and Justice Team of Community of Christ. We're working for a just peace in Israel-Palestine, guided by our church's World Conference Resolution of 2016. Today, we're looking at peace with justice in Israel-Palestine. Our guests are Bassam Arim. Did I say that right? Sam Aramin. Say it again. Aramin, A-R-A-M-I-N. Okay. Aramin. Bassam Aramin, a Palestinian, and Rami Ethalan. El-Hanan. El-Hanan, an Israeli. They're both members of Parents Circle, an organization which supports parents who've lost a child through the violence in Israel and Palestine. Bassam and Rami have each lost a daughter. They work together for peace, so no more families, Palestinian or Israeli, lose a child. April the 27th each year is Yom HaShoah, or Holocaust Day in Israel, and in many Jewish communities in the United States and around the world. The Holocaust was the Nazi genocide against Jews that resulted in 6 million Jewish men, women, and children dying in the period 1933 to 1945. Rami, your dad was in Auschwitz. Can you tell a little bit more about his story, please? Uh, My late uh, dad was uh, born and raised in Hungary in a small uh, Jewish town by the name of Kishvarde. Me and Basam have been there in... uh, 2014, and we went to the Jewish cemetery to say Kaddish on his on the graves of my ancestors, but no one left over there. The whole uh, town was uh, destroyed and uh, and uh, annihilated. My uh, father was uh, an ultra orthodox uh, religion origin. Uh, he um, 
was sent by his family to Budapest. Uh, and then he started uh, leaving the religion and become, uh, you know, an older person. And then one day he was, uh, uh, he was uh, captured by the Gestapo uh, in Budapest in 1944 and was sent to Auschwitz where he spent uh, one year. He was 17 years old. Mm. And then somehow he got to Israel after that. And then he survived Auschwitz. He found out that most of his family was uh, was uh, destroyed. Uh, he found his brother. They together they uh, came here to Israel. Uh, his brother was a, a prisoner of war for the in the in the north with the Syrians, and he fought in the old city of Jerusalem. Uh, um, I uh, was very badly wounded, and the nurse who took care of him was my mother. Ah, so a romantic story at the end. This is their picture. If you, it was looking like this. Ah, very good. Yeah, young, beautiful couple. Yes, 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 yes. Very good. So, Bassam, as a Palestinian in prison for I think seven years. How do you see the Holocaust? What's your relationship to this terrible event? In that time, <clears throat> in that time, the Holocaust for me, it's it's a big lie. It never exist. What I know in my background that someone called Hitler killed six million Jews, but it's a big lie, and uh, I never thought about it. It's just like a number, six million. And you know in advance, it's a big lie, of course, without learning about it, without searching about it, just to hear. And I don't know from where I hear this news. Uh, so this was my relationship with the Holocaust in that time, before I go to jail. And then in prison, uh, what happened? Now, in prison during the present time, uh, in the beginning, in fact, I watch a movie about the Holocaust and it was by chance because we have, we have TV, I believe in that time it was the Holocaust Memorial Day. So they screen some movies related to the Holocaust. Uh, and I understand this movie is about Hitler and the Jews, which I know in advance, it's a big lie. But I want to enjoy, in fact, seeing this movie as kind of revenge to see someone torture those Jews, uh, kill them, enlist them, occupy them, whatever, because they occupied us and because I am in their jails, the very personal level. Uh, but what happened, in fact, after a few minutes, I found myself crying, get sympathy with those innocent people. I start to ask myself questions. Uh, I don't believe that they are human beings can do the same to other human beings, even in my worst imaginations. It's, uh, it's very difficult to, to describe my pain in that time to see kids and women naked. Uh, it's the most terrible thing was for me because according to my culture, to my religion as a Muslim, uh, you cannot imagine that, uh, that they, we have people in our world uh, with these atrocities. Uh, so what happened that I decide I want to understand more. 
about this event, if it's really happened, or it's a big lie, or if it's uh, just a movie. So you, you researched more, but uh, uh, when you came out of prison, you were a different person, right? And your life began to move in a different direction. So what was your change of course? How now was your life different? Uh, in fact, when I get released from jail, of course, it's another story. But in general, I still believe in army struggle as the only way to talk to those occupiers. I don't know them. Our relationship is to hate each other. Uh, they have a brutal uh, behavior. They try to kill our humanity every moment in jail. And it was a mission not to broke down. We need to, uh, to, to, to be strong, to continue our struggle to achieve justice and peace and liberate our land. Uh, uh, when I get released, in fact, what happened was uh, Oslo agreement after one year. And it was, it was like suddenly we have peace. And we start to see the same killer terrorist with the blood on his hands, a dangerous man, means the Palestinian prisoner. He become a general in the Palestinian security forces. And he start to make uh, uh, coordination with, uh, with his Israeli jailer, his Israeli occupier. Uh, it means it was a paradox for me. And I start to ask myself, so why I spent seven years in jail? Just for Arafat Viramin to check hands, uh, why they didn't make it like 10 years ago, 20 years ago, otherwise I'm not going to be in jail. And in the same time, they will save uh, thousands of lives from the Palestinians and the Israelis. Uh, and this was, in fact, my turning point to understand that now we have peace. Uh, it was really in that time. And we need to prepare ourselves to live together or side by side, but in peace. Uh, then you start to think in a normal way, if you live in a normal situation, uh, for that, I get married and I start to have kids because I believe that we need to uh, prepare a normal life. Uh, and you, in fact, that, at this time, did you join Combatants for Peace? Uh, no, it was very far away from Combatants for Peace. It was in 1993. Uh, in 2002-03, uh, I was already active in my society in the Palestinian side without any connection with the other side because we try it, in fact, more than 100 years while trying to kill each other, to defeat each other. And the result until today, Israel is not safe and Palestine is not free. Just more blood, more pain, more victims. Uh, until 2003, when I hear about the uh, refuseniks in the Israeli media, I wish to meet those uh, soldiers and officers who refused to serve in Palestine. And after two years, in 2005, uh, uh, we have the first meeting between four Palestinians, ex-prisoners. I was one of them with seven ex-Israeli uh, soldiers and officers. Uh, Rames' son, Elik, was one of them. This mm -hmm. is how I get to know this noble enemy, Rami, in 2005. Yeah. I was lucky. <laughs> The noble en enemy, your friend. Exactly. So you came to Britain and did a master's degree in peace studies at Bradford University. And in fact, you did your thesis on the Holocaust. Could you say a little right. bit more about that? 
Uh, you know, I understand that if you know more, you act better. If you don't know, so simply you don't know. And always it's good to agree with yourself, with your narrative, with your history, with your story, and don't see the other side. It's also okay. And uh, uh, But when you start to know, you start to suffer because you discover new uh, facts uh, or discover the other side and you cannot keep silence. Uh, for me, it was, I don't want, uh, <clears throat> sorry, to teach the world about the Holocaust. I want to learn myself about the Holocaust and other events uh, through the peace studies. Uh, it was, uh, I want to say that I feel sometimes kind of shame because I don't know about it. Uh, in fact, it was no opportunity to know about the Holocaust, in my case, because we don't learn it uh, in the schools, not because of the Palestinians, uh, because of the Israelis themselves. From uh, uh, 67 to 93, uh, we learn with the Jordanian school books, and in Gaza, Egyptian school books. So nothing mentioned there about the history of this region, Palestine or Israel, uh, the Palestinians or the Israelis, nothing. Uh, yeah, this is what happened, how I know about, about the Holocaust, how I feel uh, after that. Uh, and always I said, like what I learned from peace uh, uh, studies and conflict resolution, in fact, we start to be professionals how to make more conflicts around the world and not to solve the conflict. Mm -hmm. uh, because uh, thousands of people who study uh, conflict resolutions, and we still have a lot of conflicts. Uh, but in fact, it's a, uh, it's a very good tool, uh, in fact, to know how to start a negotiation process, to, to start from the grassroots uh, uh, movement, uh, to start dialogue, of course, it's very important uh, from my experience and also to learn that it will add to your experience uh, a lot of tools in theory to start to, uh, to, to be more active, more effective. Mm. So for our listeners, I should say that the Bradford University, when you were perhaps there, had the largest peace studies department in the world. So Exactly. The exactly. academic study of peace studies is a very hopeful uh, discipline to be engaged in. Absolutely. So it was the most, the most strong uh, department there, right? Yes, yes. Started by the Quakers. Uh, so Rami, uh, you were a soldier in the Yom Kippur War, if I remember rightly, 1973. That was a difficult experience for you, wasn't it? Do you want to say a little bit about that? Well, it's a life-changing experience. It's one of the worst experiences of uh, my life, almost the worst. Um, it's something that you are not uh, prepared for it. Uh, we started this uh, war with a company of 11 tanks and we finished it with only three. And I lost uh, many, many uh, close friends over there in the desert of Sinai and across the Suez Canal. 
And until today, I wake up uh, sometimes uh, with cold sweat, uh, remembering the experiences of this uh, crazy period. Uh, the effect uh, on uh, my life was a determination to detach myself from any kind of commitment. I was so uh, disappointed. I was so angry. I was so disillusioned that I found myself uh, kind of an anarchist uh, with contempt to any uh, kind of uh, political or social or, or any activities. And this went on, I was doing, I was a graphic designer. I did graphic design for the right wing, for the left wing, I was completely cynical. And this went on until uh, what happened to me in 1997. So both of you are fathers, both of you are family men, each of you lost a daughter. And can you can you share something about that very difficult time for each of your families? Uh, perhaps we can start with you, Rami, because you're on the edge of that in 1997, I think. Well, it's uh, something that uh, blows up your mind, but especially blows up the bubble that you are living in. Uh, I was having a very comfortable and beautiful and uh, safe life. And, and this uh, event rocked my uh, self, my family, my entire being, and uh, created a new person out of it. The change is so dramatic that until today, 24 years later, I still don't believe it happened. And I have to, uh, to, to punch myself to remember that uh, I'm, I'm in a different place now. And the pain is there, uh, the time does not heal the wound. And uh, it's, it's something that uh, stays on your mind 24 hours a day, 59 seconds of every minute. It is there, it will never go away, it will never rest, it will never uh, come down. And uh, this is a destiny. And it uh, filled me with uh, energies that I didn't know I could have. And uh, I have to wake up every morning and make a decision. What am I going to do with this energy? Hmm. So is that a photo of your daughter behind you? Yeah. Yeah. What was her name? We should say her name. Smadar on the left and Abir on the right. So that's there are that's 10 cool. years between Smadar and Abir. Yeah. So Smadar should have been 37 years old today. Yeah. And Abir should have been 27 years old. Hmm. And she was about 12 or 13, is that right? That was 14 years old. 14, okay. So, Basam, can you share something about what happened to your daughter? As my brother Rami said, you will never heal. And in fact, this day is your life before and after. It's totally, it's a big change. You will never be. Uh, the same before, it's an open wind forever. 
but as Rami said, you need to know how to deal with this pain, how to deal with this energy, in a positive way, in a negative way. Uh, this is our commitment to the uh, uh, memory of our beloved daughters, that their killers will die and they will live longer than their killers because we will continue to talk about them, to keep them alive all over as long as we uh, live. You know, this tragedy for the people who lost their beloved ones, they know what we are talking about. Uh, you never rest. Uh, it's affected all your life in all levels. Uh, and you find yourself with big responsibilities to keep others, uh, your other kids, your wife, and you need to keep yourself. Uh, as Rami said, until today, sometimes we shout with her name when we want to call her sister, for example. Mm -hmm. uh, so sometimes you don't believe you want to buy something from the market and you remember she loved this thing and you bought it to mm -hmm. her sister. Uh, yeah, it's a, it's a, a, a line of pain forever, he said. Mm -hmm. So you, you both belong to Parent Circle, um, a joint grassroots Israeli-Palestinian organization of over 600 families who've lost a loved one. Can you share something about the vision of Parent Circle and uh, your work uh, through Parent Circle um, as bereaved parents trying now to make sure that other families don't lose a loved one. Can you share a little bit? Perhaps Rami, you can start and Basam, you can continue. Uh, the Parent Circle was founded in uh, uh, 1995 by Yitzhak Frankenthal, a, a bereaved father whose son, uh, Arik, was kidnapped and murdered by Hamas. He uh, started this uh, activity of joint effort of Israelis and Palestinians together. Uh, and the uh, mission is to try to avoid, to, to prevent this uh, unbearable pain from other families. This is not a psychological support group. This is a political group. Uh, we, uh, they are a common denominator. What combines us together is the understanding that uh, this situation in which one people is dominating the other in which one people is occupying another, cannot go on, and we lost our children because of this abnormality. So the uh, parent circle is not a political group in the sense that we do not draw lines or maps, and we do not phrase articles of peace agreements, but we are very much political in this understanding of opposing the occupation. And what we do, is designed to put cracks in these walls. The walls are not the concrete walls. The walls are the walls within the heads of the Israeli and Palestinian educational system. And what we are trying to do, the very sight of us, speaking to Israeli and Palestinian kids, is kind of an earthquake that creates this crack in the wall. And through this crack, a little light comes in, and a little light can drive away a lot of darkness. 
Mm-hmm. And Bassam will tell you about the activities. So Bassam, do you want to continue? Yeah, in fact, I want to say that our long-term uh, uh, target in the parent circle is to create a reconciliation process to be an integral part of any peace, future peace agreement. <clears throat> Because if we don't have reconciliation, we will have only ceasefire until the next, the next time. And I wish to have a ceasefire at least right now. Uh, and as Rami mentioned, <clears throat> all our activities is designed to make this crack in the wall and to prepare uh, a ground to, to accept the reconciliation process after any peace agreement, after of course, there is no reconciliation under the occupation. Means we need to have a peace agreement. Then we need to start to work together towards uh, reconciliation. Uh, and those activities like uh, the summer camp for our kids and their friends, the women groups, the ambassadors for peace, uh, the narrative groups. We have more than 1,200 alumni, uh, more than 10 years. So we have a lot of activities designed to make this uh, target in in Palestine uh, and Israel. To know the other, to understand the other, uh, and to start to make a partnership between both sides to fight against their common enemy, the occupation, the fear, the hatred. So for our listeners, Parents Circle is easy. Parents Circle Israel, I should say, is easy to find on the web. So I recommend you look up the web page, uh, look up the English portion, obviously. Um, do either of you have any quick comments on the February 2022 Amnesty International's report um, on Israel's apartheid against Palestinians? You know, for me, uh, like after 72 or 50 years, Amnesty or others uh, discover the apartheid regime. This is not the issue. To describe the Israeli brutal occupation as apartheid, as fascist, as Boris, then I don't know what. This is not the issue. If we don't uh, 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 describe it as apartheid, means it's okay. It's less brutal. No, at all. It's more than apartheid. It's more than fascist. But uh, Amnesty as an international uh, body respected, for, uh, even was respected uh, by Israel and by United States. Now they became anti-Semitism directly because they criticize Israel and they go too far to describe the Israeli occupation. Uh, I believe it's more for me, more to the Israeli people, not to the Palestinian people, because we live under this discrimination when we born until today. Uh, so it's for them to understand that it's a racism, it's apartheid, it's a discrimination, and uh, they need to refuse to continue this occupation together with their Palestinian and international partners uh, to solve it. And I believe uh, uh, it's very clear, very strong. Of course, I, I support it. Hmm. 
Rami, do you have any observations? <laughs> well, first of all, I agree with every letter that Bassam has just said. Uh, I think it is much worse than apartheid. I think uh, you just have to look at the reality today. Look at what's going on in, uh, in Ukraine now. And this uh, monster of Russians occupying another uh, country and uh, bullying and uh, bombing and uh, and uh, harassing and uh, and uh, the world is uh, uprising against it. Where is the world towards the Palestinians? Where is the world towards this uh, uh, more than fifty years of Israeli occupation in the West Bank and Gaza? So it's double standard everywhere. And especially Israelis are trying to look the other way. They are very comfortable in uh, sitting in their coffee houses and uh, having a good life, not knowing what is really happening 200 meters uh, away from them in their name. Every day there is a kid killed in the West Bank, every single day. And uh, the Israelis prefer not to know and the, Israelis, the Israeli media cooperates with it, and they hide the atrocities that are happening in the West Bank. And when someone tells them that you are doing an apartheid, they are all alarmed. How can you call us, us Jews? How can you call us apartheid? Well, you can. Mm -hmm. When I met you seven or eight years ago, um, I, you were very clear then about the occupation was the problem. Um, so thank you for sharing about that. I'm glad I asked that question. There's a book written about your shared story called A Paragon, Bloomsbury 2020, by Irish writer Colin McCann. And of course, um, people in Ireland have a sense of uh, the injustice of... Uh, of the Palestinian situation, they suffered from the British. Some of them. Some, yes, yes, I understand that. The heart of the book is your testimony, your story in your own words. And the other parts of the book tell your story, but in a novelized form. Now, how would you rate the book? Are you happy to endorse it? Uh, I think it's a masterpiece. I uh, was reading it uh, on my way to the United States for the launching of the book two years ago. And I was mesmerized to it. I was, uh, I forgot it's about me. I read it as a novel. It was fascinating. It was, uh, you know, so many layers, so many uh, directions. Uh, the 1,001 little stories uh, that combines together to a... Uh, um, in many ways, I felt uh, that I'm listening to myself being recorded. And the voice sounds a little uh, peculiar, but uh, but I think he, he was uh, doing a marvelous job uh, with, with uh, uh, an artist hand of the way he described our loss, our pain, our mission, our way of uh, dealing with the situation. And uh, I really admire him for it. Mm. Thank you. Bassam, do you have any observations about the book? Uh, uh, in fact, I read it after one year. 
after I get uh, hundreds of messages and emails from people around the world talking about this great book. So I decided to read it, discover <laughs> what's, ri what's written there. Uh, and as, uh, as Rami said, in fact, uh, it's a very strong book. Uh, and if you detach yourself, like you are uh, reading a novel, in fact, I, I love uh, Rami and Bassam in this movie. Uh, yeah, and uh, we have a saying, if you love yourself in the right way, people will love you. Uh, it's not kind of selfish, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, and this was our goal, to spread this message as wide as we can. And this was the target of the goal. And the philosophy of the chapters, 1,001 chapters, like Shahriyar with the Shahriyat Zat, she told this story again and again for 1,001 story to keep alive, to survive. And this is exactly our goal. We told our story sometimes seven times a day, five times a day, in order to keep our daughters, their memory, to keep them alive. Mm. So I want to add a, a, a post note to this book. Uh, um, so I read it uh, uh, after my wife had read it. And uh, then I suggested, I'm part of a book club here in England, a very good friend, a college friend, uh, Miles Hillman introduced me to the book. And um, he, he started the book club. And Miles's dad, by the way, was arrested by the Gestapo in 1933 because he was causing trouble as a social democrat working in the uh, in the shipyards and so on and then as a student so he escaped to to Britain so Miles identifies with the story that you're both telling as well and um, the book club um, six or seven men who didn't think they would like the book were really um, impressed by the book also. It's, it, to call it clever is, is, uh, is not the right word, I don't think. It is it, very intelligent, very artistically well done, I think. And yet it's also so truthful because at the heart of the book, in your own words, is the story that you've been sharing in this podcast. But I wanted to make sure that you endorsed it. You didn't have any reservations about it. No, so, we don't. So for our listeners, A Paragon um, by Colm McCann is a very good read if you want to follow it. So when I first heard your stories some seven and a half years ago, the, I remember the place, it was a hotel. Uh, I was tired, I nearly didn't go. And yet the meeting with you both was one of the most profound experiences of my life. Um, and so that's why I'm so enthusiastic about promoting your story. Rami, you said to our small group uh, that we'd not asked the most important question. So I felt kind of slapped by the teacher almost <laughs> after we paid such attention to your story. So you said, I'm going to ask the question for you. What can we do? So what can I do here in Britain? What can our listeners to this podcast do around the world? Rami, do you want to go first? And then your noble friend, Bassam, perhaps can add some words to, 
to your story? Well, uh, this is the way uh, I finish every lecture, especially to foreigners. Uh, by this uh, message, the most important question is what can we do? What is the lesson that you take from this meeting? What are you going to dream about tonight? And what will be the action that you will take tomorrow morning? And if you remember, my father is a Holocaust survivor, an Auschwitz graduate. And uh, 75 years ago, while they took my grandparents to the ovens back in Europe, the free and civilized world stood aside, never lifting one finger. And today, so many years after that, while these two crazy nations of ours are massacring each other without any mercy, while this atrocity is taking place in Ukraine and and uh, and. Uh, and the genocide in Syria and people are drowning in the Mediterranean and wherever you look, atrocities. And the free and civilized world is really standing aside, doing nothing, which is a crime because standing aside while a crime is being committed is also a crime. So what we ask of you is not to be pro-Palestinian or pro-Israeli. This will not help us. We demand of you to be pro-peace and to be against injustice and against this ongoing situation in which one people is dominating another, one people is occupying another. This is the essence of the problem. It must change, it can be changed. And then I finish with a message of a Jew and I am a Jew with the utmost respect for my people, for my history and my tradition. And I will tell you that ruling and oppressing and humiliating and occupying millions and millions of human beings for so many years without any democratic right is not Jewish, period. No two ways about it. And being against it is not anti-Semitism. And if you get into an argument, you can quote me. Thank you. That evening, seven years ago, I wrote down every word of that that you said. Bassam, we're going to give you the last word. I agree with Rami word by word, in fact. And uh, I want to add just, uh, no one can enjoy justice and democracy and prosperity alone in his bubble. Uh, we are very connected to each other around the world. Just today I start to see, of course, my heart is with the Ukrainian people and especially the Palestinians. We are against all kind of oppression and occupation around the world because we have been tasted the pain of bitterness of this uh, occupation. But I start to see videos how the Ukrainian uh, soldiers, for example, participate uh, in Iraq. Uh, in the war in Iraq, how they deal with civilians in a very brutal way together with the British and the Americans. And I said to myself, how can I ask the Iraqis to empathy with the uh, Ukrainian people, for example? Uh, so always I said, as Martin Luther King says, in the end, we will remember not the words of our enemies, but the silence of our friends. Don't keep silence because bad things could happen to you tomorrow. So absolutely you will find me shout and raise up my voice for you. 
and always think of others. I will finish with this song for Mahmoud Darwish, our late poet. And he says, think of others. As you prepare your breakfast, think of others. Don't forget to, to feed the doves. As you conduct your wars, think of others. Don't forget those who seek peace. As you go to pay your water bill, think of others, of those who only have the clouds to drink from. As you go home, your own home, think of others. Don't forget the people of tents. As you speak freely with metaphors, think of others, of those who lost their right to speak. As you think of others, distant others, think of yourself and wish you are a candle in the darkness. Thank you. Thank you. So think of others. Thank you from the bottom of my heart, Bassam and Rami, for being willing to share your story with us today. Thank you for enabling us to tell our story. So here we, really we have, appreciate it. You, you're welcome. Here we've had a conversation between a Palestinian and, and an Israeli, and there is no, uh, there, there's no uh, gap between their efforts uh, to work jointly for peace with justice in Palestine and Israel. We respectfully join with Jews around the world remembering Holocaust Day, April the 27th. And we hope this podcast will help you understand a little of the suffering that comes from the continuing occupation of Palestinians by Israel. This is Grounds for Peace, part of Project Zion Podcasts. I'm Andrew Bolton. Thank you for joining us. So that was wonderful to do with you today. Thank you. Very good. I hope uh, you're satisfied. Yes, yes, yes. I knew it would be moving. Um, <laughs> okay, just uh, send us a note before you uh, transmit yes. it so we will be able to listen. Yes, of course. We will do that. And I hope we can keep in touch. Okay, certainly we will. Yeah, yeah. So, so Basram, uh, you are not missing England today. The weather is the worst you would have experienced in Bradford. <laughs> Always, I said the, the, the weather is worse than the occupation. I speak <laughs> from there. Okay, well, have a good day. Thank you. Thank okay. you. Thank you. Bye. Good night. Bye bye. Thank you. Alaikum salam. Shalom. Thanks for listening to Project Zion Podcast. Subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcast, Stitcher, or whatever podcast streaming service you use. And while you are there, give us a five-star rating. Project Zion Podcast is sponsored by Latter-day Seeker Ministries of Community of Christ. The views and opinions expressed in this episode are of those speaking and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of Latter-day Seeker Ministries or Community of Christ. The music has been graciously provided by Dave Hines.